Oh, hey, welcome. I say that every time. Uh, welcome to the August tw- 2016, August 11th, 2016 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. And this month we are talking about Up the Walls of the World by James Tiptree Jr. And we'll just go around and see what people thought in general, and then we'll talk in more detail about it. So whoever wants to go first. Well, I'll go first, I guess. Um, I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. I thought it was very good. Um, It makes me want to go and read some more of her writing because this was so good. And, uh, you know, and the way that we've been, those of you guys who have read any of her books say she's pretty dark, but I didn't think this was dark at all. I really thought this was, um, I think, Evan, it was you that said that maybe you hadn't read anything like this good in a long time. And I have to say that's true, too. Maybe since I've started back really reading science fiction, this is one of my top ones. If I had to name five, it would certainly be one of them. Yeah, I I also enjoyed it, although I'm not sure if I ended up sleeping through parts of it. But I I found the part, the chapters dealing with the... the, um, what would you call it? Where, where they were doing the experiments a little, uh, somewhat a little boring in a way, although some of the, the the characters were interesting, especially that lady, what was her name, O'Malley, who, who apparently was originally from Africa, and of course Dan, Daniel, Dan, or Dan Daniel. Um, one thing I didn't get, and I guess maybe we'll wait until we go into it more depth to ask the question, but I really liked the aliens. I thought they were, especially the those squid-like ones who on that planet whose names I cannot remember, but you'll, you'll help me, I'm sure, with the name of the planet and the name of the main characters there. I thought that was a really beautiful description of how they lived and everything. And, of course, the third alien, that strange creature that occupied a vast amount of space, that was a real neat invention also. So I thought the book was quite good. Yeah, that was the Tyree planet. And... Uh they were they were great. Uh, Tip Tree writes stories with some really really delightful aliens, and that's one thing that I've noticed. Um, some of her short stories are rather dark, but this book just man, I couldn't quit reading it. That's um, I read the last couple hours of it today because there were so many dimensions that I still haven't gotten because the ending is so gracefully written. It's written with such grace. But there's so much you can miss in there, so I'm probably going to have to read that again another couple of times, at least the last couple, two, three hours. But all I can say is what I said in the last meeting. Man, what a book. Well, I'm afraid I get, I'm going to be a dissenting opinion because I gave up after Chapter 4. Um, I think had the author given me a description that those, I guess it's the Tyree planet and that those were aliens and not you know, I couldn't tell what they were and I couldn't make any sense out of it so I just gave up after the fourth chapter I did like I I assumed they were descriptions of aliens or something I did like his descriptions of those but I'm afraid that he made them too in, uh, incomprehensible, and I think isn't he is she actually isn't the author a female? 
Yes, that uh, was, was Alice Sheldon. Uh, that was her given name. She took that name. She didn't want people to know that she was a, a female author. And uh, I thought it was a fabulous book. I thought it's one of the best, well, as I said, it was one of the best I've read in a long, long time. And I just finished the Jean Le Flambert trilogy um, last month, and I thought that was pretty awesome uh, that I mentioned on the list. But uh, this, I, I don't want to compare them because they're so different, but this is certainly up there in one of the best books I've read in a long time. I haven't read a perfect book yet. None of the books that I've are on my favorites list that I've read many times are perfect, and we'll get to some of the... I have some issues with it, but nevertheless, um, I thought it was fabulous. Uh, yeah, they were real aliens. Uh, Lissy and I were reading a book uh, a few weeks ago uh, that was set in Tibet and Mongolia. It was actually called The Ninth Buddha by Daniel Easterman, in case anybody's interested. And I told her at the time that I said... Um, you know, I think these people are more alien, and I've said this before when reading about stuff in uh, set in China or, or Tibet. These people seem more alien than a, a lot of the aliens that I've met in uh, science fiction. And then we started this book, and I said, well, now we've got some real aliens here. And they were fabulous. She drew them. She created alien characters on, you know, Tyree. They, were, they had different temperaments. They had different personalities. Um... Well, there's just a great deal to say about it, and we'll we'll go into more details. But uh, Lissy um, gave up in Chapter 8, um, and she'll talk about that. But um, but I thought it was a marvelous, marvelous book. Okay, go ahead. Um, I'm, it's not the book's fault. I'm really gun-shy. So many authors, it's so popular to kill off main characters and stuff, and... I just lose my nerve, and then when I start getting anxious, then I just don't want to read anymore because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I never look ahead, but lately I've been having a hard time risking a lot of books. Well, I guess it can go in. I don't know if every, has everyone had their turn. We're missing a few of our standard people here. I don't know. It seems like people sleep through the meetings quite a bit uh, these days. I don't know, but... Uh... David, Leela, I was sure would come, but I don't know what happened there. Yeah, I thought Leela would come too. That's kind of why we were talking for a few extra minutes. That's what I was thinking. But man, I'd love to know what she thought because she didn't provide any hints in any of her emails today. And it's funny, she usually sends a message the day of the meeting just or day before just to remind people of the meeting and everything. I didn't see any of that, any message from her this time. But anyway, um, I, I agree with you fully, Mary, that really that book should, I should at least read that book at least one more time or two more times because, as you say, there were so many dimensions that it was hard to grasp at all. Like one of the things that I didn't fully catch, and I don't know if it's because I sort of fell asleep to part of it, but when the, uh, when, the when those aliens from the planet, Tari or whatever it's called, when they transported themselves into the bodies of the humans, were there scenes where where they describe how they how the people reacted or how they reacted on Earth? Because I don't recall reading any of that. There was one, Geoduk was the one who got into the body of Dan, and they described a good bit about he, how he fared. These aliens, um, there's no question, they were more advanced than humans in many ways. They didn't use 
electricity and they didn't use but in many other ways they were they were more advanced he adjusted uh, pretty quickly and he was able to read the minds of those around him to get help to because he wasn't sure how to eat you know how people ate and how to you know what he didn't know english of course to start with and he but he was reading the minds of the people yeah it showed him pretty much but it didn't show a lot of the it didn't show many of the others uh, I remember the what happened when Dan ended up in a Tyree body. Do um, you remember that, Evan? Because it was, it was pretty scary. Because Dan is used to keeping his feet on the ground, and all of a sudden he's in this wild, windy place, and he doesn't know how he's going to communicate with this body that supposedly uses light to communicate, different shades of light. It's not sound. And yet he's in this wind, and he thinks he's dreaming, and here's these people trying to calm him down. And that, that sounded pretty wild and scary. Well, he wouldn't have adjusted nearly so fast if they hadn't been there to help him, as I said. They were much more advanced in mental capabilities, and they, he would not have been able to adjust so quickly if he had been with other humans or, or on his own, you know, just by himself or with... Uh, unintelligent animals or whatever because that's a that's not just a similar body to human that's a radically different body it would have you know it would take you know that would be you know drive a lot of people completely irreversibly insane i would imagine you know to have such a radical change but you know it almost did to some of them i mean they went through quite a bit of uh, quite a few of the humans adjusting uh to the alien bodies and um so that was uh, quite one of the one of the great things about the book. I mean, there's so many good ones. I mean, I I like books with grandeur and you know scope and you know this book had it in spades. You know, sense of wonder. You know, all that stuff. This book had it loads of it. Do you recall, Evan, what chapter? Because it was interesting. I was skimming through the chapters, you know, just to try to refresh myself. But it's interesting the way, in the beginning at least, they 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 shifted. One chapter was with the humans. One chapter was with the aliens on the planet. Another chapter would dealt with that entity, but which chapter was it where it described um, when his name Jericho or whatever his name was took over the body of the human? I'd like to go back and read that again because I don't recall that. Well, I don't know what chapter it was, but in, if you were, there was quite a bit there actually, although it was all from the point of view of the one guy, and he was the one who went around and sort of calmed everybody down that was one of the aliens um, with the people on Earth. And I, f- I found that part of the book one of the really most endearing things, the way that, um, that the aliens were so empathic, I guess, is really the thing. And Well, obviously, that's what they have to be. To, I mean, I think that that's... If there is such a thing as ESP, that's probably a lot of what it is. So, anyway, that was that was really actually one of my favorite parts of the book. So I'm sorry that I'm sorry that you don't remember it very well because I thought it was really very well worth reading. Uh, maybe somebody does know what chapter. I don't know the chapter number, but I know what it begins with. It begins with. Dan thinking that he's dreaming. So if you look for the word dream near the beginning of the chapter in the first 30 seconds, you're in it. And this is the part where Dan is in the Tyree body. Um, 
and somebody else takes over Dan's body on Earth. But this is part the part where he's focusing on being in a Tyree body suddenly, and he thinks it's a horrible nightmare. And you're right, that's where all the aliens come in with their empathy and their kindness. I thought that was most lovely. It, I agree, Deb. It was just lovely to hear all that stuff. I mean, they cared. And you wouldn't think that a species that looks like a bunch of giant squid is going to care about anything, but they were incredible. Yeah, remember that part in detail, you know, how Dan was trying to uh, adapt. And then he, he some established this almost, almost, I wouldn't say, how should I put it? A loving relation with, with that that female, what was her name? The, the one that, and, and, and of course, another thing was interesting how they, you know, the different customs, how the fathers were the ones who raised the children and all that. But I, yeah, I'm going to skim, go back over that book and check because I'm interested in here and trying to find that part where where it actually describes how he adapted, you know, the, the alien in a human body and how they adapted. The other thing that, you know, some other things, of course, that I'm not totally clear on, I know this group of people, where it was like a military experiment to try to develop their psychic abilities to reach out and contact other aliens, and were they the ones who actually contacted these uh, these aliens? And, and and it was also another part where that entity was talking about something, a, a small creature getting inside him and making contact with him. I forget exactly who that was. So there is so much so much depth in there, and so so many different scopes of the book the small creature was actually a pioneer spacecraft because remember that it said we come in peace for all mankind that was one of the messages that was sent out with the pioneer spacecraft in the 1970s that actually had a phonograph record in there and a bunch of pictures and stuff i think there are a number of them of spacecraft like that so that was what ended up in the entity, the entity kind of drew it in, and I think that was one of the points where it actually, the entity started to wake up, or at least sort of become conscious, because it became aware of something other than itself. But I thought that was kind of clever. Now, I will bring up an issue that I had to suspend, I had to uh, suspend my disbelief just a bit more than usual, where um, that intelligence agent Kirk grabs O'Malley's arms and she there, there she flies out of her body and travels and then Dan goes after her he doesn't know how but you know and they fly through these different worlds which I kind of enjoyed but uh, I'm not sure I believe you know it quite I'm not sure I buy that really but I suspended my disbelief enough to go with it uh, though I don't really think it's, you know, very plausible, really, when I think about it too much. But um, I liked, you know, they, they they were going to these different worlds, and he was trying to find her. And then once she gets on the destroyer slash saver, um, you know, and starts uh, exploring it and so on, and, you know, becoming part of it, I thought that was just marvelous. But I'm not sure I believe in the disembodied points of consciousness just flow flying around so much well i i kind of agree with you and also i kind of see what he was or she was getting at in the writing of it because that was that i think they were traveling on that same beam 
that had been established by the people on Tyree. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, because she didn't mention it, but yeah, that's quite possible. All of that was going on at the same time, if you remember. Um, and also, um, when you go looking for the section about the people on Earth, it will either be just before or just after that one that Mary was talking about, I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, and I think that the way that those chapters ran, it would be one from Earth, one from Tyree, one from the entity, and then it would, and I believe that the chapters went one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, just like that. And I think the entity was actually chapter one. Yeah, it starts out with the grandest, you know, scope and the largest creature, and then, you know, by chapter three, only by chapter three we get to the humans. Uh, I, I think that might be off-putting to some people, but it grabbed me right away. I said, yeah, you know, the first paragraph, or however, I was, or I was in. Now, what was destroying Tyree? Was that the destroyer uh, in his in, in his campaign to destroy worlds, and he was concentrating on destabilizing the sun, and that was what was destroying the planet? Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was a project to create a firebreak. Uh, because the galactic, galactic core was exploding, and or um, I think she was a bit vague on that, but um, but it was a, a the, the destroying the stars so that the it would stop the galactic explosion from coming out to the arms to save you know the stars that were in the arms. Unfortunately, it did not take account. You know, it didn't even understand the life signals that were coming from these worlds that it was, you know, just when it was destroying the stars. It was, I mean, before Margaret and the aliens came aboard, it, I mean, I, I can't believe it was really that intelligent. I mean, it was, it was designed to do a certain job, but it really didn't understand and, you know, it wasn't that conscious of what it was really doing. It was just operating on instinct, mostly, it seemed like. Um, so it was destroying the star. It was it was actually reversing time, according to her, um, and letting the star expand as it had originally condensed, um, so that it would just expand and create, you know, and destroy the planets all around it, and eventually it would just um, become a gas cloud. And eventually, if you create enough of those, then you protect the outer galaxy from the explosion of the core. I would almost ask you to have us read it again for next month. It's so it's so complex. I just hope I if I'll have the time, you know, with a new book to read and all that to go back over it again because I really I really should reread the whole thing. Actually that's it. most of that is in the actually in the dust jacket. It says there, you know, that the 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 entity's job um, with those other ones of its race was to create that fire line to protect the outer portions of the galaxy, but the but it shows um, the author Tiptree shows them discovering that later on uh, after O'Malley you know tells them about it because it sounds scary like it's mean. You know, well, it 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 is. Well, think of uh, a humans creating a firebreak to prevent the fire from spreading through a forest. They're not really conscious of the creatures that they're you know destroying in the forest as they're doing that they're they're too large they're too 
you know, they're on a different scale and they don't see really the little, you know, creatures that, you know, they're destroying in order to save the larger forest. It's kind of like that. I'm not sure it was ever clear to me whether Tari was actually part of what needed to be in the firebreak or if the entity had broken down sufficiently that it was just willy-nilly picking places and destroying them. Uh, does anybody have a better feel about that than I do? I don't know. I I know where you're coming from because it talks early on about the wrongness. It went yeah. astray in some way. But it was doing its job, but it didn't seem to be doing it correctly or it, it deviated from the standard operating manual or whatever the heck you want to call it and but so I don't know if it was part of the fire break or not uh, that is uh, something I am not clear on either Mary um, who's read it more might know I think it kind of talks about it on the on the cover where it says that the destruction is heading toward Tyree, and Tyree is reaching out psychically at the same time that the humans are from Earth, and so they intersect, and that's kind of how the two species end up meeting. Um, I think that's how it was supposed to work, um, and I think it said that in detail on the on the cover. Yeah, exactly, and, and that's the way I described it on the description, but when he actually got into the book, I'm not, I guess it was so complex that I didn't, I didn't really grasp all that that actually happened that way. In other words, again, these people in, the, in this military camp or whatever, they were kept apart, some sort of experiment, but was it, was it ever spelled out in the book itself exactly what they were supposed to be doing? I think it was some pretty standard ESP top tests. I don't know how much you've ever read about those, but where they send things like series of random letters or numbers or something like that and then have other people trying to receive them, that kind of thing. Um, they were trying to communicate back and forth like um, the purpose in the particular experiment that they were doing when this happened um, was that they were trying to communicate with someone in a submarine underwater. Right, and they were just exchanging letters, but then, then the beam and the alien came, and then the telepathy got perfect. You know, they were sending all the letters were right, and Noah, the project leader, was just so happy. Now remember that you know there were there was one incident where they were just in their normal activities when when suddenly they experienced some sort of a some sort of alt change in the in in, in the in reality, like a, something came through, like. And I guess that was maybe the aliens sending their beam or their thoughts or something uh, to the to the to the group. Perhaps you know maybe not having done it on purpose. I'm not sure. Yes, remember they were doing tests uh, before they swapped the actual bodies, which most of the aliens were against, by the way. And she really she really played the moral ambiguity here very well. I mean, you're right. There's a there's so many things going on here that it's it's just another reason why the book is so good. It's not one-dimensional, you know. Um, but they remember they did some tests to see if they could switch bodies temporarily with the beam on. And that's when uh, Dan or one of them felt that wind. Remember, they and, a, and several of them felt it. Um, they felt the wind, so they, they were actually temporarily on Tyree or got a good impression of what the environment was like from the mind that was uh, 
coming into them from the beam. See, it was it was Tyree that discovered Earth. It wasn't Earth that discovered Tyree, because they were more advanced. They had the you know the psychic, much better psychic abilities. I mean, we were infants in that respect. Remember, they said they could barely you know they were working on, you know the the. Uh, Geoduck or one of those said that they were, you know, that we were working on it, but we were barely, you know, functioning in that realm, and they were much better. I think one of the fascinating characters in the book was Margaret the Programmer. Um, I was really drawn to her and her ability to get into the entity and, with help from some of the others, manage to flip whatever switch and find whatever address she had to find to kill the program that was doing the must follow must whatever that was I forgot the thing the rest of it um, must search must follow kind of thing um, and they kind of looked up to her as a goddess sort of at the near the end of the book but I, I like the, the programming part of it. it. I guess it just kind of reflects the mainframe technology of that time in computer history. But I enjoy the way that Tiptree described it. Well, I liked something else that was really wonderful. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as much into characters as a lot of people, but it was wonderful to see, you know... And even Dan, you know, he's miserable, you know, he's got his guilts, and, you know, O'Malley had hers, and um, all these people were pretty miserable, you know, the, the, the people in the experiment. And, you know, there, there was, it wasn't perfect at the end, but most of them got healed. Most of them were, you know, had, you know, because of their association with the Tyrene, I guess, um... They were, you know, they were much better off. Any psychologist here would say that they had been, you know, they'd gone through successful treatment. Um, You know, they were happier. They were coming out of their shells. Only Frodo was a little unhappy because she thought that Val didn't need her anymore. But even she, you know, was, you know, know, there was hope for her. And, you know, the other, Ron and Rick, you know, were, you know, had come together and, you know, they were like, uh, they they became one person more or less, and they were happy. And Val was happy, and and Winona, you know, and and they, you know, they they were healed. Most of them. It was a great thing to see, you know, that, you know, because Tiptree, you know, as we've mentioned, I've read some of her shorter work, and she's got some, and you can see it in the book here too, a little bit. She's got some, or she had some, some bitterness, some, you know, you can see some of her political you know, stuff coming through. That's another issue that, you know, where the males, you know, and thinking how ludicrous it is for the males to be, you know, the females to be fathers and, you know, and that. But um, um, she, but, but she really turned this into a very good-hearted, you know, at the end, in addition to all the grand scope and the sense of wonder, she turned these characters around and made them basically happy and functioning and um, you know much you know most of them had left their miseries behind them oh I agree totally that I think that had to be one of the highlights of the book and the thing is she shows how it happened it just didn't get pasted into the book it it was a progressive kind of thing where it they had to make some progress to get where they got and um, it just it was so 
when I got done with that book, I was so excited because I thought, man, this is so optimistic. Not perfect, as she said, but it was it was just dynamic. Because Margaret O'Malley, she, if I'm corrected, that she was originally from Africa. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know why she had an American sounding name, and then she suffered as a child. Apparently, what many women in Africa suffer when they when they do that circumcision type thing, and that scarred her, I think, quite deeply. In fact, for a long time, she didn't. Apparently, she didn't really want to have anything to do to deal that intimately with humanity in general. It was only, you know. Um, when she integrated herself into the end of the and gradually again found that there was something worthwhile returning to humanity. The um, What happened there is that I, I believe it, she may well have been born in Africa, but they were living, I think, in the United States. And they traveled back to Africa when she was going through puberty, and that's when the female circumcision took place. And so, um, and then they were back in America after that. Um, I thought that was pretty brutal, but on the other hand, I think it really did point up and and give a good reason why she was so detached from other people. Now, let me ask another question. The title of the book came from apparently what was that that wall on the planet itself? What what um, I didn't quite understand the concept of the wall there on, on, on Tari. That's the wind wall. There's a giant vortex on, I think it's down near the pole where the hearers were. That's where most of the action takes place. And there's a giant vortex, a hurricane, You, I guess we would call it. That's what uh, one, some, one of the humans called it when they were there or saw it. Um, and you climb that wall to go up you know, when you climb that wall, you go up out of the deeps and closer to the upper air. Uh, and that's where a Tivanel went to hunt food and to find the wild ones. And uh, that, you know, at the beginning of the book, that's what she was doing. Um, so it's the wind wall is what they're talking about, which is their world, really. They don't go to the surface of their world. They're, they're, the surface of their world is way too deep. Um, kind of like Jupiter, it reminds me a little bit of a meeting with Medusa. You know, the the giant creatures in you know in uh, the, a meeting with Medusa. Though we don't see too much of them, but um, they live in the winds. They never go to the surface. I wonder what happened if one were to just excerpt all the human chapters and all the 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 other the the entity and just leave just the chapters of the of Tari. I wonder how that would read. Well, you could try it, but I think there'd be a lot of detail left out. Because you wouldn't really get the interaction from the other points of view. Well, and eventually you'd have to give it up because the humans, once the humans show up on Tyree, then, you know, that scheme doesn't work anymore. Yeah, that's true, true. But it was very interesting just to, as a, from an anthropological point of view, just to study the customs of, of the Tyree and everything in, in, in detail. And, and, and there, there, I don't know if they had, if you call them that they had taboos, but... Some of their, their, what we almost call them shamans or medicine men, those that were really deep thinkers and everything. So it, it, I'll tell you, I, <laughs> I may not read the next book next month and just go back and reread this thing again. <laughs> well, I'm going to reread it at some point, you know, in the, in the, in the future. Probably not right away, because I don't usually do that. But 
I'm I'm certainly going to read it again at some point. I do that with the books I really like. Um, but uh, oh yeah, she created real aliens here with customs and characters and you know and mannerisms and and an environment and and, and she just put in you know it's just marvelous. I mean any good SF writer like Vinge or Clark or you know uh, Benford or Paul Anderson or I mean, these aliens are up there with the best of them. There was a story by her in Galaxy many, many years ago, and actually the, there's a book on Bookshare that has this story in it about aliens who run into humans for whatever reason, and the aliens <clears throat> cannot tolerate water at all. And uh, there's some explanation of how their biology works, and who would have thought, because usually aliens have to have some kind of um, balance in their organic structure so that you have to have water as at least some sort of solvent or something. But these these intelligent aliens, just if they got water near them or breathed it or touched it or anything, they died. So it just shows you her imagination is, was just incredible. Yeah, well, that business about our water-centric approach to life is one of the things that bugs me most about NASA's search for extraterrestrial life because they exclude any other possibilities. So who knows what they're missing? That reminds me of a story in Asimov's that was more of a light-hearted story, but uh, but it was about these people who kept watching. They went to an amusement park, and they kept watching the weather, and they were real hyper when clouds would appear, and... They just didn't quite make it, and the water came down, and they started to melt. I don't remember where which anthology it was oh, in, but it's dear. but it stuck with me. You know, it wasn't oh. a real you know it wasn't a real heavy story, but it was uh, Mary. You might remember it because you're a big Asimov fan, but uh, I remember that story quite well. But I wish I could come up with the title. You know, there was a story in the Anything box that had to do with aliens and. And, and I forget it was it salt that they needed or something it was some very simple concept that they that the people on the, on their planet quite didn't grasp or something I forget the details I don't know if anyone remembers that or not. Well, there was Star Trek. There was the Man Trap. That was salt. And then there was the other alien obsession. I think it was where what did he to iron or copper iron? Yeah, it was. It, it took iron. That was that cloud creature, and it took one taste of Spock and didn't like him so. Uh, but that was another alien that had drew minerals out of people. And I think there was, is there, in truth, no beauty or whatever the name of that was, where the aliens were so hideous looking, although they were peaceful, that people looking at these aliens would go mad and die and stuff. That was weird. Yeah, I remember that one. Well, if it's time to choose another book, are we going to be able to get anything halfway as good as this one? No, I'm not expecting that. You just can't do that. That just doesn't happen. You just you just got to reconcile yourself. It just it it's just not going to happen, as one of Lissy's old friends used to say. It's just not going to happen. We'll just have to do the best we can. Well, I want to know from Lissy if she has gotten over her fear enough that she might consider continuing to read now that she knows that that good things happen to the good folks. Yes, I am going to read it. I'm so glad. I think it's really a good book, and it has such heart that I think you'll love it. Well, I still want to read The Flicker Men. I've talked about this book before, 
um, uh, by Ted Kozmaka. It's on Bard. I don't know if it's on Bookshare, but if other people have any ideas, uh, bring them forward. But I have the NLS thing here to play if people want to hear it. Um, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, it's the only other one I'm, I can think of is Jim, but I mentioned that. I'll just read that on my own, I guess, because it's, I read it once and I've forgotten 99% of it. That's by Fred Pohl, I believe. I read that in Galaxy, actually. I don't even think I read the actual book. You're right. That was in Galaxy. And in fact, that's even mentioned, I believe, in the dust jacket or something. Um, it was a lot of fun, but let's, let's let somebody else pick a book this month. <laughs> I think I did my duty for the rest of the year. <laughs> well, we can keep that book for, you know, keep it in mind for the following month. Pick. You know, it's good to have books uh, in reserve. Wasn't somebody keeping a list? Was it Leela? Uh, maybe? Uh, I don't remember. What I suppose it, I should be keeping one, but I'm not. What is Jim about? Or Jim? Jim? J-E-M. It's a planet, I think. It's a planet with three different species, and humans want to try to take over, and there's three or four different reasons why different humans in different countries want to take over and all that. And uh, that's basically what it's about. Well, let's go for the flicker man so Evan can be happy. Why is that important to you, Marshall? I just like to to read it if you've got it. I mean, you've suggested it three or four times, and I'd like to kind of like to read it. Jim didn't sound that interesting to me. Okay, here we go. Library of Congress annotation. Unemployed quantum physicist Eric Argus is hired at a research lab by a friend. After experimenting with old equipment, Eric establishes observation of an evolutionary trait that may be the soul. Soon, however, Eric encounters people who appear to be soulless, and one of his fellow scientists vanishes. Some Violence, 2015. From the book jacket. A quantum physicist shocks the world with a startling experiment, igniting a struggle between science and theology free will and fate, and antagonizing forces not known to exist. Eric Argus is a washout. His prodigious early work clouded his reputation and strained his sanity. But an old friend gives him another chance, an opportunity to step back into the light. With three months to produce new research, Eric replicates the paradoxical double-slit experiment to see for himself the mysterious dual nature of light and matter. A simple but unprecedented inference blooms into a staggering discovery about human consciousness and the structure of the universe. His findings are celebrated and condemned in equal measure, but no one can predict where the truth will lead. And as Eric seeks to understand the unfolding revelations, he must evade shadowy pursuers who believe he knows entirely too much already. That's it. It's got physics in it, so I'm all for it. I am too, because I just finished a Non-fiction book about quantum bi- quantum biology. So, and I'm I get a headache every time I start thinking about the double split experiment or double slit experiment. And uh, so I think I'd like that one. Well, wait, you get a headache, so you'd like it? Um, Lissy is um, curious. Well, if you go back and read. Uh, Green's cor- uh, book on not the ultimate universe, but he wrote another one. 
and they talk about all the weird things that happen in that experiment and how it seems like the photons seem to know ahead uh, before they can know which slot they're going through or which slit they're going through or whether there's one slit or two slits. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff there that I don't even pretend to understand. And in fact, I think that's one of the things Green wants to work on called the observer effect, which happens a lot in quantum mechanics. Yeah, exactly. It's what I was thinking of. Um, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on in quantum mechanics. It, nobody can explain. I mean, it's wild stuff. Yeah, that's Life on the Edge, that book on quantum biology, if that's the one you're thinking of. I've got it on my book sense here. I don't know when I'll get to it, but I really do want to read it. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the fabric of reality. I think it's the green book. I, I like that. He has one of the best explanations of entropy in that book by using the pages of War and Peace that I think I've seen. I've read a, quite a few descriptions of entropy, and that's one of the best ways of conveying it without a lot of math. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure that's the book. I didn't quite finish the. Um, that is the book on quantum biology I read. I gave up on the last chapter because we don't understand enough about consciousness. But there are some things that he talks about earlier that looks very much like there are quantum effects in biology. But I don't remember how to describe them, so I won't try. When he, does anybody else have any other ideas for next month before we close up? I'm absolutely for Flickr, and I've already got it on my iPhone and ready to roll. I've, I've been, I've started it two or three times and decided no, I don't want to read that yet. I guess I know why now. Can we have the information, the number, or the name, or whatever? Okay. Eight three one seven three DB eight three one seven three, and let's see, it's about thirteen hours and twenty five minutes. Sounds good, and I was thinking even about a bit of the uh, quantum principle of entanglement. Looks like there's a little bit of that in there too. Okay, well then I'll say good night to you all, and I'll go and download it and get to it as soon as I can. All right. Well, see you next month. See you next month. And i got to close up by saying that the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, September 8th, 2016. And our book will be The Flicker Men by Ted Kosmatka, which is on Bard. And I will check to see whether it's on Bookshare. And I'll put out the newswire tomorrow with all the info. So, uh, good night.